Good morning, Stonebridge. For those of you who may not know me yet, my name is Joey Weber. I am, one of, I am the associate pastor here. And I just want to say it's just a blessing to be here with you all, to be preaching to you on this glorious Sunday morning. I pray that you guys are able to start getting back into a rhythm. I don't know if you guys are anything like our family. The past couple of weeks have just kind of been like chaotic, right? It's like, what day is it? Like, we were on vacation for a little bit, and Andrea's like, oh, we need to make sure to do this on Wednesday. And I'm like, sweetheart, it's Thursday. We missed that boat. You know, it's like, we just don't even know what day it is anymore. We're from one day to the next, and like, then for you teachers, like, you were off, and then you went back for a little bit, but now you're back on weekend, and it's just like, it's just chaos around our home. And so I'm just like praying for all of y'all that you can get back into a rhythm, and we can get back into a rhythm, and new year, right? So... Excited for that. Um, for those of you who have been here for the past few months, you know we, we took a little break and we were focusing on the Advent season, but before we broke, we were working through Philippians. And so today we're jumping back into Philippians and going to finish that out over the next few weeks. And today you'll find ourselves in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. So you can head over there now if you have your Bible with you, or we do have some pew bi- or some seat Bibles if you need them as well. Um, so go ahead and grab one of those. Today, we will be taking a journey together, and that journey is found in Philippians 3, and the journey that we'll be taking is the journey of Christ-likeness. You see, Christ-likeness is not a destination that we reach in this lifetime. It's not about coming to church a certain number of times or, or reading our Bible all the way through. Like, as much as, as, as much as we would hope for that, right? Like, it'd be so much easier if it would just be like, if I could just come to church 300 times, then I could be more like Christ. If I could just read through my whole Bible, then I could be more like Christ, right? Like if there was just something we could just get to and say, okay, now I'm there. Unfortunately, that's not how the, the journey of Christ-likeness works. We talked a lot about joy. Even through the Advent season, we talked a lot about joy. And we've even given applications as to how to choose joy. But we need to realize that joy is attached to that journey of Christ-likeness. It's not about reaching a certain point and then everything just rolls off our back. Choosing joy doesn't mean that when I find out something tragic, I'm just immediately going to be upbeat. And I'm not going to receive a phone call later today, potentially, and hear that there's maybe a family member sick or has cancer, and all of a sudden I'm just going to be like, well, that's a bummer, but that's okay, because I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? There it is. I knew if somebody would. We're not just going to be like, you know, everything's just great, grand, wonderful. I don't care. That's fine, because i got Jesus. Woohoo! That's not what joy and Christ-likeness looks like. When we get that phone call, we're allowed to be upset. We're allowed to be sad. We're even allowed to be a little anxious at times, not knowing how this may play out in our lives and how this may affect what we have going on. We've said it before, but it's worth saying any time that we can, it's okay to not be okay. In the midst of turmoil and anxiety and stress and whatever is going on in our lives, it's okay to not be okay. Choosing joy is knowing that I'm not okay, but that Jesus is. 
So when I get that phone call, I'm able to run to Jesus and cry out to him, knowing that he is in control. And that is how I'm able to choose joy through the journey. It is a continuous journey that will last the rest of our life and into eternity. But we have the ability to choose joy on that journey. How? Well, if we look at our passage for today, I see that Paul gives us some examples and some ways that we are able to choose joy on the journey of Christ-likeness. So follow along with me, if you will. Chapter 3 of Philippians, starting at verse 12. Paul starts off and he says, Not that I have already obtained this, or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus had made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. We're going to walk through this verse by verse, and we're going to see a few different ways that we can choose joy on the journey. First up, that first verse, it, it kind of hit me hard, right? Not that I have already obtained this, or I'm already perfect. It's almost like we planned this passage just for me. So for some of you, you, you may not know this, but four months ago, I stood up here, and I told most of you that I was struggling with pride and that I was going to take a break from preaching and try and work on this area of my life. I'm standing here today to tell you I am still struggling with pride and I will for the rest of my life. But I read this verse and it gives me hope. It gives me hope knowing that it is not about me. It is not about, like I said, just reaching some certain level of religiosity that I can finally say, like, I'm good. I'm all better. I will honestly tell you that the past four months, I have been on a roller coaster with God. I've been angry with him. I've been angry with myself. I've been angry with others. And through all that, I got the opportunity to sit next to all of you and listen to people telling me to choose joy during the process. Some days and weeks, it was more difficult for me and for my family. But through it all, I reminded myself that God was doing something through me and in me. And about a month ago, Matt and I sat down and we started looking at the preaching schedule. And he's like, hey, you know, first of the year, that's kind of when we talked about it. Do you want to just preach that first Sunday? And I said, yeah, I'd love to start to get back into the rhythm of that. Okay, here, just grab this first passage in January. Great, no idea what it is. And then a couple weeks ago, I sat down and I read this passage. And I read that first verse and I wept. It is through suffering that the Apostle Paul gets the, the best perspective on the journey of Christ-likeness. Now, although I still struggle with pride every day, I pray for Jesus to make me more like him and less like me. That is my everyday prayer. And I 
strive more and more. I don't get to just stand here and say like, yep, it's something that I struggle with and that's just who I am, deal with it. No, I constantly have to go to work praying every day for God to take this away from me to make me more like him. And that's part of the journey. A month ago, Matt preached on the passage right before this, and we see Paul giving the laundry list of his religious qualifications. If anyone had any reason to be boastful or prideful, it was possibly the Apostle Paul. And if we just read this first verse, it can be a little confusing. Like He's like, what are we talking about, Paul? Obtained what? Like, if we just jump in right there like we are, it can be confusing. What are we talking about attaining, Paul? Well, he's referring to the statement that he makes at the end of verse 11. What he is referring to not obtaining yet is what we all will receive when we are resurrected to Jesus. That is a future sanctification, a a future becoming more and more like Jesus, becoming as close to perfection as we may ever become. He's saying, I have not obtained that yet, but I know we will someday. We're not there yet, and Paul knew it. And the best part of this verse, the, help, the part that helps me choose joy in this journey, is the knowledge that is by no power of our own. There is nothing we can do to earn God's favor. It is by grace, through faith, that we have been saved so that no one can boast. None of us get to stand here and say, like, praise God, I was able to save myself. Nope, no way. That gives me hope on this journey as I will continually screw up, make mistakes, and stumble more towards Christ-likeness. Now the next thing we, that can help us choose joy in this journey, we can see in verse 13, it's a focus on the future. Paul is saying that we cannot spend our lives looking back at the mistakes that we have made. Now that's easier to say than to do, Right? Some of our past mistakes have hurt others. Some of them have caused pain to ourselves, spiritually, physically, emotionally. Some of us carry the scars of past mistakes, and that makes it hard for us not to dwell on them. And some of us dwell on the past mistakes of others, and we let them just eat away at us. Now, in my um, working out over the past few months, I've learned a a new term, and it was actually a term I knew from before, I just never really got it defined really well until joining the gym I'm in. The word is kaizen, and it's a Japanese word, and what the word means is change for the better or continuous improvement. Now, they use it a lot in like the the marketing world and in business and stuff like that, but applying it to ourselves, I think it really helps us. It's okay to remember that we have past sins and, and to not, so that we don't slip back into those past behaviors. But just like Paul is saying, we need to be future-focused and we need to learn to celebrate the continuous improvement that we make in our lives, even if it's just 1% better. Some days we're going to wake up and we're going to make huge gains towards Christ's likeness, big steps. We're going to go on a mission trip and just feel so connected. And other days it's just going to be a little baby step, just 1% closer to Christ. But we need to learn to celebrate the big steps as much as the little steps because it is a continuous improvement in a lifelong process. 
Paul talks about not looking back. What happens when we look back? When we're looking towards Christ's likeness, we look back, we lose our focus. When I thought about this, I thought about swimming. So Deacon is on the swim team. And for anyone that knows how swim meets work, or if you don't, I'll explain it. So you, you've got the pool, and everyone's in their own separate lanes, and you're going, and, uh, and you've got these flags in the pool too. And the flags are kind of to show you that you're getting close to the end, right? They're not the actual finish line. It's you're close. And it's specifically kind of for those who are in the backstroke, which is Deacon's favorite stroke. You know, they have the flag so that as you're going, you don't just smash your head into the wall behind you. It's like, yep, there's a flag. I know it's coming. I need to keep reaching harder and harder because I don't want to smash my head. I'd rather just hit my hand on the wall. Now, we are at this swim meet, the first one of the year, and Andrea and I know what Deacon's PR numbers are. I have to be reminded, but she knows them by heart. She could tell them to you right now. But we know what they are, and we're sitting there, and he gets in, and he's going. We're like, wow, he's going really well. And he gets down for the end, the 25 meter, and it's a 50 meter, so he turns when he comes back, and I ask her again, what's the PR? And she tells me, I looked at the clock, and I'm like, he's on pace. He could do it. This is exciting. This swim meet, though, had something strange, at least to me, something I had never seen before. Sitting right by those flags was a guy sitting in a chair with a whistle. And when the last person would pass the flag, he'd blow his whistle. I I still don't know what the purpose of this was, like let people know the last person had gotten there. Deacon had never experienced that ever with the whistle. And so he's going, he's going, he's going. He passes the flag, and then the last kid passes the flag, and the guy blows the whistle. And Deacon just, for some reason, just stopped. Like he's going, he's going, he's going. We're watching, we're like, go, go, buddy, go. And they blow the whistle, and he just stopped. I don't know if he thought that he, that he had disqualified or the race was over or what, but he just stops swimming and kind of looks back. And we're like, go! So then he goes again, but PR's gone. There's no, because I mean, you're talking milliseconds, right? Like there's many times, like it's just seconds. You don't have time to stop and restart. So he missed it. He looked back. He lost his focus. And I will say he did hit that PR a month later or so. So praise God for that. It's, we're constantly hitting them. But that one time, it's like we, we missed it because we lost our focus. That is exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to lose our focus. He loves whispering our mistakes from the past in our ears. He loves saying things like, you are a Christian? What about what you did last year? You say you're a Christian? What about the divorce you just went through? You say you're a Christian? Why is your relationship with those people in the church you sit next to strained? You say you're a Christian? Why did you belittle your wife last week? Why did you yell at your kids this morning? And on and on and on, Satan loves whispering those mistakes into our ears. And we can go through our whole lives looking back at our past mistakes and failures and living in fear that we may screw up again. But if we truly want to choose joy on the journey, we need to look up and look forward. If you are truly a follower of Jesus, you can be confident that he knew all of those mistakes when he chose you. 
in eternity past, Jesus looked through all of time and saw you. He said, I choose you, I love you, and I'm going to go to the cross to die for you. No matter what mistakes you're going to make, I'm going to forgive you of those mistakes. That's why I'm going to go to the cross, because I choose you, and I love you, and I'm willing to die a horrific death so that those mistakes, past, present, and future, can be forgiven. Because I want you and I love you. We need to look up. Quit focusing on the past. Be future focused. Look up and look towards the upward call of Christ. Now the third thing that can help us choose joy on the journey, we can see it in verse 14. It's knowing what the goal is. And I've said it already, but just reminding what the goal is. It's Christ-likeness. So I ask the question, how are you pursuing Jesus right now? How, how would you categorize your pursuit of Jesus today? Are you just leaning back, coasting towards the finish line? Like, yeah, I got saved a few years ago, a number of years ago, however long it was, and, and life is good, and I go to church, and I, and I do what I need to do, but I'm just leaning back and coasting towards the finish line. Or are you straining towards the win, the, the finish line? Are you straining for it? That's what Paul is talking about in this verse. Now, while reading this, I thought of the, one of the biggest races uh, of my lifetime, potentially of all of our lifetimes, quite possibly one of the most important finishes of all time. Now, I I don't, I can't explain it, so I just found a video of it, thankfully, and, and I just thought we'd watch it, because I couldn't give it justice in just explaining it, so we have a video. Yeah, the Piston Cup of 2006, right? Okay, how many times I see it, that's, that still like, makes me a little anxious at the end there. Like, is he going to do it? I don't know. Is that what your relationship with Christ is like? Are you 
straining, grasping, blowing out tires, but still jumping, reaching, sticking out your tongue, just trying to cross the finish line? Or are you just, you blow out a tire and you're like, well, I lost that race. Maybe we'll get the next one. Just coasting across the finish line. Eventually the truck will come out and pick me up and drag me across the finish line, right? Like it's, what would you say your relationship with, or your pursuit of Jesus is like? No matter how long we've been following, we need to be straining for the end. Because what happens when we lean back? What happens if we just try to coast to the finish line? The number of times I've heard stories of young men and women starting off for Jesus just on fire. And I see them years later and I start to question, where are they now? I have a cork board in my office with every student who's ever gone through student ministry and graduated with me. Even after I've been in, after I left student ministry, the ones that were still in when I left that have graduated since, I put their picture on my cork board and I pray for them often. There are many students on that board that do not appear to be following Jesus now. Now, trust me, I am not the judge. Thank goodness. I do not get to stand there and look at my list and say, nope, 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 yep, nope. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just, based on their current fruit, I question, where are they? They were so on fire at one point, you know, leading Bible studies or doing whatever, and now it's like, I just, I don't know what's going on in their lives. Do you see the end of the race as joyful? As joyful as the start of it? Or do you see it as fearful? The end of that race, we will all stand before King Jesus when we die. And there's only two options that he will say to us. He will either say, well done, good and faithful servant, come into my company. Or he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Now the terrifying thing about that verse to me is that He's not talking about Christians and atheists. He's not saying, you know, well done, good and faithful Christian. Depart from me, atheist. No. When Jesus talks about this in the Bible, he's actually referring to religious people. He's saying there are people that will stand before King Jesus someday. And he will say, and people who thought that they were religious and they were doing the right things, and he's going to say, depart from me, you worker of evil, I never knew you. Why? Because all of the stuff that they were doing was not for Jesus, it was for themselves, to make themselves look good, to try and fill a certain box on a checklist. Yep, I did my Christian activity today, I'm good. We must strain for the goal of being more like Jesus. We must focus on the future and constantly be straining for the goal. In order to choose joy on the journey, we also need godly role models. And we can see that in verse 15. Paul talks about those of us who are mature. And I thought of that when I, when I, when I thought of this idea of more mature. I thought of role models. Well, many of us have role models. As youth, we tend to look up to those who do things better than us. When I was younger, it was Michael Jordan, right? That's why I'm 37, still rocking J's. But 
I used to watch every single Chicago Bulls basketball game. Thank God we lived in Iowa and had WGN. Every single Bulls basketball game I would watch. My room was dripping in Bulls and Jordan swag. And I used to play basketball, if you can believe it. Those of you who have played with me, they can't. But I used to play. And I had the, the Jordan fadeaway jumper down. I could just nail it. I practiced it over and over again in my driveway. Just like leg up, arm up, half the time tongue was out. It was perfect. I nailed it almost. I did everything perfect except for making the basket. But I looked good doing it. Like, just don't look at the basket. Just look at me. Just take pictures, right? There's that pride again, right? No. Even as adults, we can look at others as role models. Look at someone's career, and we wish we could achieve what they have achieved. We look at their children and see what they are doing athletically or even scholastically, and we dream of living vicariously through our children. We think, if my son or daughter was just as good as this kid, then they could get a college scholarship, and maybe someday my legacy could live on through them. We look at other couples' marriages, and we wish our marriage could look like theirs. Now, it's okay to want to achieve more in our lives, to want more for our children, to want more for our marriages. That's the purpose of date night, right? To want more for our marriages, the purpose of parenting events, to want more for our parenting and our children. But it's not enough to just want more physically or financially or relationally. Do we have spiritual role models? And if you do, who are they? Can you... In your mind right now, can you say, yes, this is my spiritual role model, this person? If you can, what do they model? For me, my spiritual role models, they model the the characteristics that I wish I had more of. Forgiveness, humility, introspection, the ability to look inside their own lives and say, I'm not where I want to be and I need to get better. Those are the things that I look up to as spiritual role models. Paul talks in this verse about the picture of a maturing Christian. Now it's easy to read these books like from Acts, from when Paul gets saved to the end, all of Acts book or all of Paul's books that he wrote, And they seem to just clip along at a pretty good pace and think that this all just happens in a few short years. And that Paul is able, by the end of Philippians, sitting in jail, ready to die, he's able to achieve this level of joy and suffering in just a few short years. The reality is, Paul has been a believer in this book by probably almost 30 years at this point. Over 30 years by this point. This was not something he just achieved overnight by some miraculous act of grace. In fact, there are many times in Scripture where Paul refers to himself as the least of all the apostles or the least deserving of grace. How can the apostle Paul say that? This is a guy who's planted dozens of churches, written books in the Bible, who's led thousands of people to Christ. How can he say that he's the least deserving? I read that and I think if Paul's the least deserving, where does that put me? Like not even on the scales, right? Paul can say that he's the least deserving because of introspection, because of his ability to look at his own life, to look at his own thoughts. He's able to see the log in his own eye. He knows the sinful thoughts that he has possibly on an hourly basis, and he knows that that's not what the upward call of Christ is calling him to be. He's like, I'm just not there yet. 
yet he continues to strive. He doesn't just stop and say, well, I'm not there. I'm not at Christ's likeness yet, so I'm just never going to get there, so I just give up. No, he keeps pushing and striving and straining. There is never a time that we should be doing better in our, should have been doing better in our pursuit of Christ's likeness than you are today. Right? Does that mean? Minimally, so saying like, today, you should not be able to look back five years ago and say, you know, five years ago, I was a pretty good Christian. I was like reading my Bible and following Jesus today. Yikes. Today, I'm pretty rough. That's not the way our Christian walk should be. Minimally, we should be at least maintaining where we were, but constantly trying to strive for more. That's what Paul is talking about, this maturing process. We need to be becoming more and more. The second part of this verse was a little confusing to me. So I did a little research, and essentially Paul is just trying to say that if you think you can be perfect in this life, God will humble you. He's actually writing this in response to false teachers. See, after Paul had planted churches in many of the Middle Eastern countries, false teachers started rising up and going into the churches and teaching people, you know, this Christ-likeness, this is something you can achieve in this lifetime. And that's actually what you need to reach Jesus. You, you reach perfection here, and then Jesus will call you home. That's what they were teaching them. And Paul catches wind of this, and he's like, ha, nope, not even close, not at all in this lifetime. You will never, ever achieve this in this lifetime. No one is perfect, and we need to remember that. This is true of every human being who has ever lived on the earth. Even those spiritual role models that we have who seem to be perfect, they are not. I read a book a number of years ago, and it was called The Imperfect Pastor. It's one of my favorites, actually. Um, It's by an author who, Zach Eswine, who actually wrote the book after his struggle of trying to plant a mega church, really, or like grow, planting a church and growing into a mega church, and the, the pride and the lack of humility that he struggled through in the process of all that, he wrote the book after that, just like the imperfections that he saw on display around him and in himself. And in it, he has an incredible quote. He says, even the greatest theologians or preachers among us are still just ordinary people, needy for grace in Jesus. I'm tired of pretending otherwise. What he is saying is that even those spiritual role models that we may have, whether they be national role models, you know, some biblical role models, the Apostle Paul, national people from the past, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., whoever those spiritual role models may be, they are still just ordinary people needy for grace in Jesus. Are you a role model for those who are watching? Are you maturing? And do you find joy in the maturing process? The final thing we need to help us choose joy on this journey, we can see in verse 16. It's a short verse, but it's so powerful to remember. Only let us hold true to what we have already attained. Remember what you have attained. For those of you who have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we have already attained everything we truly need in this life. And that is something that Paul never forgets. He remembered the cross. 
We can see that in every single book that he writes, almost every single chapter probably, most of the paragraphs. Every word that Paul writes is dripping with grace, the cross, resurrection, salvation, all of these things that we have attained. Paul was so focused on the cross and the resurrection that he couldn't help but have joy in whatever circumstance he was in because he knew what the ending was. What have you attained? Salvation, sanctification, justification, assurance, body of Christ. We have attained the fact that we are saved. We get to be with Jesus someday. We have attained sanctification. That's that process of becoming more and more like Jesus through the power of Christ in us, being in His Word and in prayer. We get to attain the ability to be more like Him every day. We've attained justification. The penalty for our sins has been washed away. It's forgotten. It's thrown from as far as the east is from the west, the Bible says. The penalties, the the punishment for what you have done wrong in this life has been thrown away, forgotten. We've been given assurance. The fact that we can know that we will never lose salvation, no matter the mistakes that we make. And we have been given a body of Christ. Not just the people that sit next to us every Sunday or in connection groups. We have been given a universal body of Christ. We've been given other believers in this community that we get to encourage each other off of. We've given people around the world. It's so encouraging to just bump into other believers and just be encouraged by them. And that is something we've been att- that we've been given. If you never receive anything else in this world... Those should be enough to fill you with unending joy. And all we bring to get all of those is faith and God's grace. Even though this is a race and a journey that we constantly need to be striving to be more like Jesus, we have to remember that we we don't try to be more like Christ in order to be accepted. We have already received everything that we need to be accepted. And like I said, that was by grace alone through faith alone. The race for salvation was won at the starting block. That's the incredible part of it, is as we line up to run that race for salvation or we feel like we need to, it was won before the gun even goes off, before the timer even starts. Even in eternity past, the race was won. We don't press on to get salvation. We're there. We are in a race. And we need to understand what the purpose of that race is. It's not to win. It's not to be the best. It's to make disciples and be more like Christ. This is a race that's different from others. It's not timed. It's not given fame or anything like that. It's to finish and finish well for the glory of Christ, not man. I tried to think of this idea because when we talk about a race, it, it's, it's hard because in everything, in all of our minds, whenever we talk about race, right, it's like I, I think of this idea of like we have to win, like we have to beat somebody. That's what the purpose of a race is. Maybe you're not as competitive as I am, but we have to win. That is a race. And so when we talk about our walk with Christ being a race, I need to win somehow, but that's, it's not right. And so, and, and I were just talking 
this morning or last night and, and talking about this idea about like what is what is an example of that something in this life that we're, we're constantly striving for but it's not about left to right and she brought up this idea of just like fitness and health in general i go and i work out with people that are much much stronger than me much will always be stronger than me and at first i i was like I have to be as strong as them. I ha- and then I hurt myself. Like, that's what happens. When I try to be as strong as them, when I try to do as much as them, I hurt myself. The race for health is not to be better than the person next to me. It's for me. It's so I can be the best that I can be, not comparing to the left or the right. It's to better ourselves. And that's what this what this race for Christ is like. One of our elders, Ryan Graydon, I want to leave you with a quote that he had as we were emailing back and forth about this passage. Yeah, he just had an incredible quote in this idea, so I want to leave you with that. Ryan said, As I get older, I dwell on that more and more, knowing that I will meet my Savior, and he will ask, What did you do for me? How do I answer that? I can't convince him like I might with other men. He will see through that. Only an honest answer will work. I desire to have an honest answer when that time comes. Let's finish the race and let's finish it well. Let's pray.